0: from share profits brought to you from wales by 30 yards this is the share profits radio show episode 16 here's your host tom winiforth Indeed, Tom Winifrith uh, with the, 30, the 16th edition of Share Profits Radio, brought to you from Wales, albeit only by 30 yards. It's now just over a week since the Panorama programme, which I appeared on and helped with on Neil Woodford, and since then we've learned very little uh, other than it appears that the scope of the FCA investigation into Mr. Woodford uh, seems to be expanding. Uh, it was initially just into the circumstances of the gating of the equity income fund, something which could have been avoided had the FCA acted uh, a couple of years earlier. Uh, Listen to the warnings made by myself and Cynical Bear about the liquidity issues facing all of the Woodford funds had the FCA acted then uh, and shoved Pushed, cajoled, encouraged Mr Woodford to make one or two rather different decisions that could have been avoided, but it didn't. Uh, The initial inquiry was merely into the circumstances of the gating. It now seems that there is a wholesale inquiry into the activities of Woodford Investment Management... Uh, and the ACD link. Uh, that is to be welcomed, and one hopes the FCA leaves no sto- stone, whether at Woodford Investment Management or at Hargreaves, Lansdowne, or wherever, unturned in its inquiry. There have been one or two uh, comments by various people saying, but how can you throw stones at Neil Woodford? You were, after all, a failed fund manager. Too right. I was. Uh, I managed a couple of funds, I think it's eight or nine years ago now, and was also CEO of a listed company, which in the end went bust uh, a couple of years after I got the boot. Uh, So I've been where Neil Woodford uh, is, I've seen a company I set up go bust, Uh, I've seen uh, my name uh, 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 quite rightly uh, dragged through the mud following not particularly good performance, in fact a very bad performance of a couple of funds I managed. Uh, For a while the funds were complete heroes, I was once upon a time the top performing fund manager in the UK, Uh, it didn't last, I, I then became I think the bottom performing fund manager in the UK. Sadly, not operating at the same time as Neil Woodford uh, at Woodford uh, uh, Investment Management, uh, so there are no direct comparators. The funds were pretty small. I have uh, repeatedly uh, apologised for what went on. Uh, There are a few differences between uh, myself and Neil Woodford. One of them is that at the end of the exercise, I was uh, left worth minus 200,000 quid and, of course, with no job. At the end of the Woodford debacle, uh, he will be left with uh, having taken at least 100 million quid out of the business. I think the second difference is I'm prepared to accept that I made... Lot of mistakes. I made some bad investment decisions, uh, both with the fund I managed and also with the company which I ran. Uh, There were some poor acquisitions we made, we overpaid for them, Uh, we took on debt, uh, and the world economy slowed. Uh, It was a mistake. Poor judgment, mistakes on my part. One difference, uh, one other difference between myself and Mr. Woodford. Uh, is that uh, whilst we can demonstrate quite clearly that certain trades he made on behalf of the funds he managed disadvantaged unit holders in those funds, uh, but profited Mr Woodford personally via higher fund management fees for Woodford investment management fees, which uh, uh, were taken out uh, as dividends by himself. Uh, The contrast with my own uh, career as a failed fund manager and as a failed CEO is rather different. There is uh, no evidence that I engaged in trades which enriched me personally uh, uh, to the detriment of others. Indeed, uh, my purchases of shares in the market uh, and in a placing undertaken by my former company, Rubbington Street Holdings, only served uh, to make me worth even more minus money when the whole thing finally collapsed. I have a It would be wrong of me to portray myself as a saint. I fully accept that I made some very bad decisions. Uh, And I fully accept uh, that uh, I should never be allowed to manage a fund again. One thing, uh, or indeed a public company. Uh, one thing, however, is that having made those decisions, seen how a fund operates when it's in trouble, seen how a company operates when it's in trouble, it gives you a peculiar insight uh, into other companies uh, which are on the public markets and into the way that other funds operate. Uh, my experiences at Runtin Street Holdings will scar me for the rest of my life. Uh, I don't look for any sympathy in this. Uh, I feel the real sympathy for investors who lost money. Of course, I lost a vast amount of money too. A paper fortune evaporated. Uh, uh, But my sympathy is for them. Uh, But those experiences which scar me for life uh, do at least give me an insight into the way that financial markets work and the way that funds operate and the way that quoted companies operate, the way that quoted companies present their reports, the way that quoted companies interact with the market. Uh, And it is that insight which has coloured my journalism uh, over the past seven years. To my critics, it's easy to snipe. I understand that there are a number of people in the Deadwood Press who are pretty pissed off with me. Uh, Not only have I scooped them on Woodford all the way along, uh, but I now rather crow about it and point out the fact that these folks in the Deadwood Press... Uh, were promoting and puffing Woodford right until the bitter end. I can understand why they would say or write nasty things about me. Uh, 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 But I asked them a question. What would you do if you were aged 44? Uh, The business you set up had been taken away from you. You'd been ousted in a coup. Decisions were being made about that business with which you didn't agree. Uh, But you accepted that you had contributed to its woes, although you were not uniquely responsible uh, you're worth minus 200,000 quid, and uh, you haven't got a job. And frankly, you're pretty unemployable. What would you do? Uh, one, one option, obviously, is to kill yourself. And I've been quite open about the fact that after I left Rivington Three Holdings, I had a nervous breakdown, and I considered... Uh, that way out of the problem. That would have been poor, I think. Uh, I have a family history uh, of suicide. Uh, uh, And I'm also aware that suicide is a very selfish way out. It doesn't deal with people to whom you might owe money. uh, And it leaves those who you leave behind in a very bad place. But nonetheless, I did consider that as a way out. My route to restoring uh, my life back in 2012 was to start writing. I shall uh, eternally be grateful uh, to Clem Chambers of ADVFN who gave me a platform to write. Uh, I was earning a little bit of money a smidgen, a tiny amount, writing articles for the ADVFN website. But at a time when many people regarded me as toxic uh, and refused to have anything to do with uh, me, Clem Chambers reached out with a hand of friendship, and I'm grateful to him for that. And I started writing, and something uh, alerted me to a tiny listed company called Sefton Resources. I think the first thing that alerted it, uh, me to this company was that its CEO, Jimmy Ellerton, uh, stood up at a presentation and boasted that he'd never had anything to do with Tom Winifred, uh, which he thought was a very good point for uh, 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 Sefton Resources. Uh, at that time, maybe it was a good point. I wonder, uh, I did had nothing to do with Sefton. I'd never had any business dealings with the company and I'd never met Mr Ellison at that point. I wonder, during my career as a crony capitalist, would I have had business dealings with Mr Ellison, who is an obvious criminal? Um, I suspect I probably would. That was another time, another place. Uh, this, however, rather annoyed me, the fact that he was just having a go at me uh, uh, for no reason at all, other than the fact that I was down and it was an easy way to kick me. uh, uh kick a man when he's down and virtue signal at the same time. And I noticed that he'd put out a RNS, which was uh, saying that the company's house broker was going to publish a note, intimating that it would be a strong buy note. Given the company's house broker at that point, uh, uh, Fox Davis had just been given a whole load of warrants. One would assume it's a buy note. It was basically an invitation to people to front run the stock. That, I thought, was wrong. It was wrong. You shouldn't announce that a broker's note, which is bound to be a buy note, is going to come out. And I wrote an article for Clem Chambers and ADBFN pointing out that it was wrong. Uh, Someone then contacted me and said, You do know that Mr. Ellison is a bit of a liar, don't you? And here's the proof. And that got me interested, and I started writing about the company. Uh, and uh, within two months, I was writing quite a lot about the company, pointing out that it told lie after lie after lie in RNSs, in order to keep raising money to pay Mr. Ellison's bloated uh, salary, although he didn't take it as a salary as a way to avoid paying his own liabilities uh, and to keep the show on the road. By October of that year, I was confronting Mr. Ellison, a presentation he gave in London, pointing out that he was telling complete lies to investors. It was at that time that I first met Broker Man Dan, who joined me in this crusade, which ended up with Sefton Resources suing myself and Broker Man Dan for libel. That was a mistake. I got a great kick out of it. I was really enjoying it. For once, I knew, or for the first time in many, many years, I knew that I was on the side of the angels. I was on the side, well, broken Man Down's not really an angel. He's a former bank robber and all that. I didn't know that at the time, but he's a nice guy. But we were on the side of right, because Jimmy lyra Litton lied to investors to raise money on false prospectuses, and a lot of that money was just basically stolen. Uh, so, we were on the side side to the side of right, and I found it highly uh, uh, entertaining uh, and it made me feel good about myself. And, of course, we won that case in the end. Jimmy Lyre got fired at the insistence of AIM regulation when I unearthed documents in the United States showing that he'd either stolen from the company or perjured himself in court or both. I think it was both. Uh, and the case collapsed and Daniel Levi and I celebrated by getting our expenses and a bit more back uh, back from the company. But that set me off on a new way forward. And a lot of people started contacting me about other companies, and I enjoyed writing about them. Uh, It is good to feel that you are on the side of right. It's not a path that uh, more or less anyone would take in exposing companies who are committing fraud uh, you expose yourself to an enormous amount of personal abuse and harassment. Uh, I think the, uh, apart from the death threats, they were obviously quite bad. Uh, the numerous lawyers' letters I've received over the years and the online trolling, that was all pretty bad. I think the worst thing that I ever experienced was when a shareholder in Quindell uh, contacted my ex-wife, pretended to be a 13-year-old girl and claimed that I had sexually abused her. And uh, I took it out on the shareholder by exposing them on the Internet for some of the things which they got up to. Uh, it was a blatant lie. But that is the depths which people will go to. It's not just journalists who are a bit pissed off with your sniping. The shareholders, the companies will go to these depths. No normal person would put themselves through all of that harassment. No normal person would go through that. It is only when you've been really at the depths, when you've been staring down, uh, you know, the barrel of a gun, Not, not literally, but more or less literally, when you have just been at total rock bottom that puts you in a position that you can handle such abuse, such trolling, such harassment, uh, the smears, the lies. It is only uh, when you've been in such a bad position that you really don't care what happens uh, going forward that you are in a position to face such harassment. I don't believe that any normal journalist uh, would be able to tolerate the sort of grief that I get for exposing fraud after fraud after fraud on the London AIM market, on the 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 standard list, in the world of fund management, in the world of mini bonds, elsewhere in financial services. I don't think any normal journalist would would just put up with that. It's not what you sign up for when you become a journalist. Uh, But it has become my life. There comes a point where you say, uh, there's no, there's nothing more uh, uh, you can, uh, no more sticks you can beat me with. I've been beaten with every stick uh, going. I might as well just hang on and expose a few other crooks. And indeed, that is the way uh, that I rather view life. I have cleared most of the liabilities which left me worth £200,000 seven years ago. There are a few small ones that remain outstanding. Uh, and a couple of loans I received when I was starting up again, uh, which need to be partially repaid. Financially, I am solvent now. Uh, that's a better place than where I was uh, seven or eight years ago. Uh, But in terms of what I know that I'm doing, uh, I know I'm doing absolutely the right thing in exposing crooks. I'm going to carry on doing that. I will, uh, later on in this podcast, talk about four companies which are still listed on the London AIM Casino, or the Standard List, uh, which are materially misleading investors. I will explain why that's wrong uh, and why uh, the regulators need to act but won't in their failure just makes investing in smaller company shares uh, something that no sane person would do when you know that lying and committing fraud is something that companies just get away with. Uh, This podcast is not paid for uh, uh, by you. It is free. Uh, I don't do my work for free. Uh, I'm not a charity. Uh, so I'm only able to produce this free podcast uh, thanks to the support of Open Orphan PLC. Open Orphan PLC is a company listed on the A market. It reversed into a company called Ven Life, which was complete, and that's a complete nutter dog, uh, about a year ago. I interviewed the CEO, Cathal Friel. Um, uh, on uh, Share Profits Radio Edition 8. If you listen to that, you'll understand where the company is now, uh, how it's turned around, the business that it's reversed into, uh, and how it's going to grow going forward. I am a law shareholder. I've got no idea what the share price is. last time I looked was a week ago, and they were about 6.5, 6.6p in the middle. I believe the shares uh, will get into double figures within a few months, so I'm very happy to to hold the shares, and I'm happy to take sponsorship from this company, because it's one of the few companies listed uh, on the AIM Casino, where I can see uh, a route through to material, uplift and profitability, and free cash generation. It's a proper business with revenues, that sort of thing, and where I also trust the management implicitly. So thank you to Open Orphan for a sponsorship. If you want to know more about the company, listen to Share Profits Radio Edition 8 with the interview with Cathal Friel, or go follow them on Twitter at Open Orphan. You may have noticed that we're about to have a general election in the United Kingdom. Uh, If you're listening overseas, uh, uh, well, uh, let me explain very simply. Uh, Around about Christmas time in the United Kingdom, we have something called pantomime. It is where faded stars of stage and screen uh, appear uh, with men dressed up as women and women dressed up as men on the stage. They make a lot of crude innuendos and everyone thinks it's terribly funny. Uh, or rather not very funny, but we all go along anyway. Maybe the pantomime uh, this year has been superseded by the pantomime at the House of Commons, the Palace of Westminster, where our elected representatives have been unable to agree on delivering Brexit, something that they nearly all were voted in to deliver because the people voted for it in a referendum in 2016. Uh, the government is unable to pass a bill and has until recently been desperately trying to dissolve Parliament so that we can have a general election, get a fresh set of MPs and move forward uh, but the opposition, which had been calling for an election, has until recently decided it doesn't want to have an election after all because they think they might lose. Confused? Well, if you're looking outside uh, this from outside the UK, looking at what used to be called the mother of Parliaments, I can't blame you in the slightest. It is a pantomime, it is a farce uh, and And it is one which makes uh, we mortals, we ordinary people who just have to work and pay taxes to pay for our elected leaders at Westminster, despair of the political class. Truly, the last person to enter the Houses of Parliament with honest intentions was Guy Fawkes. Anyhow, we have an election, Uh, and the choice that this country faces is a stark one. Due to the nature of the electoral system, uh, a party which is only going to get 10, 15, or even 20% of the vote isn't going to get many seats in the House of Commons. Uh, we do not have proportional representation in this country. We have a system called first-past-the-post. In a few seats, uh, there is uh, the choice is not Tory versus Labour. There are a few seats where the Liberal Democrats uh, are a threat, seats like Cheltenham, uh, which is currently held by the Conservatives. And then in Scotland, nearly all of the seats will be won by the Scottish Nationalist Party. The question for most of us in England is, therefore, who do we want to vote for? Uh, Do we wish to vote for the Labour Party, a party led by Jeremy Corbyn? a man with a lifelong career of supporting terrorists in the IRA, Hamas and elsewhere, Uh, a self-avowed Marxist uh, who wants to engage on a spending spree unparalleled in the history of the United Kingdom, and who for a long time praised the economic policies of Venezuela as the way forward. Or do we want to have uh, support Boris Johnson, the leader of the Conservative Party? A man who is a uh, cad, I think that's the way we we used to describe a man with his approach to women. He is a shagger, he is a liar, he is a charlatan, but he's terribly charismatic. Unlike Mr Corbyn, uh, Mr Johnson wants to deliver Brexit, and for many of us, which Brexit is the defining feature or the defining issue of our times, we will vote for Mr Johnson simply to deliver Brexit, whatever our misgivings about him. And our misgivings are that he is a liar. He, is, he too has discovered the magic money tree and has made spending commitments which are clearly unfunded. He is an irresponsible leader in that respect. I don't believe him when he says that he will sort out the NHS or whatever by spending more money on it. It's not going to happen. But nonetheless, the choice is between Mr. Corbyn, who will not deliver a Brexit, which we want, and Mr. Johnson, who will. Mr. Johnson, who makes irresponsible funding promises, and Mr. Corbyn, who makes them in a league of his own. That is the choice facing the British people. The opinion polls right now tell you that the Conservatives will win an outright majority. They actually almost came pretty close to winning an outside majority, uh, an overall majority, in the last general election in 2017, despite having the hopeless Theresa May as their leader. They were only a few seats short of that. They've since lost a whole load of seats to people defecting from the Conservative Party, but they'll win all of those back. The base they sit on, they start on, really is only a few seats short of an overall majority. And the bookies tell you that the Tories will... Uh, are likely to get an overall majority. The second most likely outcome is a hung parliament, which would be a disaster, for we would see uh, politics uh, uh, wading through the Brexit quagmire for many, many more years to come. Uh, There would be no way forward. Uh, The least likely option is a government led by Jeremy Corbyn, possibly with the support of the Scottish nationalists, who are almost as left-wing as he is, and potentially the Liberal Democrats, if it was all part of a plot to foil Brexit. The polls are telling you that is a very unlikely outcome. The danger is that we started the uh, the opinion polls at the start of the last general election campaign showed the Conservatives were on track for a landslide. Their lead disappeared almost entirely during that campaign. Having said that... It was a very badly run campaign, and Theresa May uh, was possibly the least charismatic leader uh, the Conservative Party has ever had in its history. That may explain it. Uh, Another uh, election to to look back on was the election when Boris Johnson became Mayor of London. He started that campaign 20 points behind his rival, uh, a man uh, who was a self-avowed Marxist with a lifelong career of loving terrorists in the IRA, Hamas and elsewhere. That is to say, Mr. Ken Livingstone. Uh, Boris started that campaign 20 points behind and won in the end because he has charisma. He is someone who will go down well on the stump. All will be revealed, but expect some market volatility between now and polling day. If the polls continue to tell you that the Tories are going to win by enough of a margin, that that, that even with a margin of error, they should get an overall majority, doesn't need to be a big one, just an overall majority of 10 or 15 will do fine, then uh, that will be seen as good for equities. We'll get an immediate resolution to the Brexit debate. That will all be sorted. Uh, And Boris Johnson's plans for the economy are not as disastrous as those promised by the other lot. If, however, those polls start to narrow, the Tory lead starts to get down to uh, within margin of error, or worse still, uh, that the Labour Party somehow gets into the lead, and then expect that shares uh, will have some sort of meltdown. Another hung parliament, or worse still, a coalition of chaos led by Jeremy Corbyn, would be very bad news for the British economy and therefore uh, very bad news for the stock market. Uh, how should we play it as investors? Well, we can't tell what's going to happen in the election campaign. My gut instinct is that Johnson will uh, prove that he's the best campaigner uh, of uh, uh, the party leaders. Uh, the Tories won't screw up their manifesto with uh, anything as daft as the dementia tax, which cost them so badly in the last election, uh, and that the Conservative Party will win. But uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Personally, if you invest in good shares, they can survive. I take the view if you invest in good shares, which do not have any financing needs in the immediate term, uh, they can survive market wobbles. Uh, And in the long run, if they are indeed good companies, you will make money. If you're invested in shares which do have financing needs, on the other hand, well, uh, this could be, yes, another reason not to be invested in them. If they have the need to raise capital within the next six months, well, that capital raise could be exceptionally difficult if we get a hung parliament or uh, a coalition of chaos uh, uh, led by Jeremy Corbyn. If you're invested in bad companies, the political risk is another reason uh, just to get out. But you probably have enough of those already. Now, I was going to talk about uh, four companies which are misleading investors. I will name them and I will explain why they're misleading investors uh, or have misled investors uh, uh, in some detail over the minutes that follow. But before I do that, I'd like to return to 2005. In 2005, I exposed a company called 3DM as a fraud. Uh, I engaged in a long battle with the company, it sent me numerous lawyers' letters. Uh, uh, One day I got three lawyers' letters, it was a Monday, Uh, one about an article I'd published on the Sunday, one about an article I'd published on the Monday, and one about an article which I hadn't actually published yet, but they assumed would be libelous like the rest. (laughs) Uh, I was bullied by the firm of Charles Russell, acting for 3DM, uh, and I was abused and smeared by the company's paid supporters, their paid trolls, people like Michael Walters and the broker... Johnny Townsend. Uh, These people uh, uh, put out stories which were complete fantasy. Apparently, I was being investigated by the uh, FCA, as it was then, not the uh, FSA, uh, its predecessor body. It was not true, but they put these stories out uh, uh, in order to keep the company's share price propped up. Eventually, the FCA called myself and 3DM in for a meeting. And uh, they said, look, here's the deal we propose. Uh, Mr. Winifrith will stop writing about 3DM, uh, which, by the way, has now gone into administration, although its sister company, Eden Research, is still listed on AIM uh, and has uh, carried on committing fraud. Um, but uh, Mr. Winifred will stop writing about 3DM and Eden Research, and 3DM and Eden Research will stop sending him lawyer's letters and threatening to sue him. Do you agree to that? But I agreed to it. You're not going to argue with the regulator. Uh, I assume that matters will be taken in hand. So I stopped writing about it. Uh, Michael Walters, the uh, former disgraced Daily Mail columnist, uh, big friend and and fan of Azul Nadir, then writing for his website, which I think I gather is still going, michaelwalters.com. Michael Walters suggested that me not writing about 3DM was a sign that the FCA uh, had told me to stop writing about it because I had got it wrong that's not actually what happened. I'd presented to the FCA a compelling dossier demonstrating that 3dm was without any doubt what well, any shadow of doubt a complete and utter fraud. I presented that dossier it was two three or four inches thick of uh, a4 documents. The FCA went away. And it did do something. It gave the company a private reprimand in 2006 based on what I'd said. But a private reprimand is completely meaningless – I just told the company, you know, you've been caught lying, etc., and all this sort of thing. Uh, I was ignoring the fact the company was a fraud. They should have closed it down. But it said you've been caught lying. Uh, we don't mind having frauds on the uh, uh, London's AIM market, but we just don't like those frauds telling lies. Can you can you try to stop that? It was a private reprimand in 2006. We didn't discover that until 2009. In 2009, uh, it seems that 3DM had taken the lesson from its first run-in with the authorities that actually there's no penalty for telling lies and committing fraud and that sort of thing, uh, because nothing's going to happen to you. You just get a private slap on the wrist. So it carried on telling lies. Carried on telling lies. And finally, the FCA did something about it and they gave them a public reprimand in 2009 uh, uh, relating to lies told in 2008. And as they announced it, they revealed that they'd given them a private reprimand a couple of years previously. This was a second offence of telling lies to investors to ramp up the share price in order to raise more money. Eventually, 3DM went bust. Uh, The problem with frauds is that they always run out of other people's money. From memory, 3DM had by the end run out of about 65 million quid of other people's money. What should have happened, of course, is that back in 2005, and five, six, the uh, FCA, I believe, should actually have just closed 3DM down uh, and started an investigation as to whether it could put those responsible for it, uh, John Finn, the company's nomad, uh, who lied to me in a meeting about how 3DM had a letter of credit from Brazil, which he'd seen, which, in fact, of course, he hadn't because there was no letter of credit. Uh, Johnny Townsend, uh, the company's founder, Ken Brooks, uh, Mario D'Anello, a strange sort of a, a hood from Michigan. Uh, all of these people should have been investigated and, I believe, sent to prison. But the very least that the FSA, uh, as it was then, no, the FCA, as it was then, could have done is given a public reprimand to 3DM back in 2005 6. Had it publicly said, we are reprimanding this company for telling a whole string of lies, which misled investors as to the state of the company. People would have sold their shares. Now, they may have said that uh, uh, the FCA, uh, uh, just like me, was damaging their interest because the share price would have gone down, there would have been a rush for the exit, the bad publicity was have seen the stock go lower. They may well have said that and complained at the time. But at least they would have been warned. What happened instead, of course, was that the shares didn't collapse. Well, they went down, but they didn't collapse, and the company was able to raise more and more money on the public markets, exercise of warrants, placings, etc., etc. It was raising more and more money with no one aware that the FCA had slammed it for telling lies to investors. That is not desirable. The point about tackling fraud is that, or companies that lie to investors, is if you can nip it in the bud early, uh, early enough, yes, some people will lose money at that stage. Those who had invested already will lose money. But the amount of money that's lost over time will be capped. Hopefully, the company just goes bust because people say, Why the hell are we going to invest in a company that lies to us? The company's share price would collapse, and that's what should have happened to 3DM in 2005 6 its company's share price should have collapsed to near zero, and it would have found it impossible to raise any more money. That would be the end of the story. The failure of the regulators to take public and draconian action. Meant that for many years onwards, the company was able to continue raising money, limping along, raising more money, but money which was basically just pissed away and stolen. I'd rather that money went into good businesses, which created real jobs, which generated real taxes for the Exchequer, and gave investors a chance to make money rather than just promoters a chance to steal money, because that is what happened. Now, why do I mention this? Because uh, I look at the four companies who I'm going to accuse of misleading investors, and they've done it a number of times. Uh, and that uh, is something which is down to the failure of regulation. The first up is TURN PLC. I have uh, written to the FCA Name AIM Regulations Day about the scandalous, the utterly scandalous state of affairs at TURN. In doing so, I'm conscious that my colleague on Share Profits, Nigel Somerville, sent a pretty similar letter back to to the FCA and AIM Regulation back in January 2015. Back then, uh, there was a report which appeared on the internet, which had been commissioned... I don't know if it was commissioned by TURN itself or commissioned by people uh, uh, close to the company or support of the company from an independent research outfit, which sought to arrive at a valuation for TURN. TURN invests in a whole load of cash guzzling, uh, to my mind, fairly worthless uh, companies. And one of those companies is called Device Authority. It's a total cash guzzler, never achieves anything in the way of revenues or profits, and is continually bankrolled by Turn. The Independent Report valued Turn's stake in Device Authority at $75 million. Or was it pounds? It doesn't really matter. 75 million is the number that you need to focus on. That was a multiple of the share price of Turn. Uh the shares went through the roof. We flagged up that this was a typo. We got it confirmed. It was a typo. Instead of saying 75 million, it should have been 75,000. And we alerted turn PLCs the fact that its shares were being pushed higher Massively higher on the back of this typo. Because if one valued the TURN stake in device authority at $75,000 or pounds, whatever, rather than $75 million, it made a massive difference to the sum of the parts valuation of TURN PLC. A humongous difference, an off-the-scale difference. TURN did not correct this typo. It did not inform investors of it until it had had got a placing away. Uh, A placing which was only possible, naturally it was a discounted placing to bucket shop investors, but it was only possible to get it away at a much higher price because TURN had failed to correct the misinformation seeping out into the market. Why does this matter? Uh, The FCA should have slammed turn it should have slammed its advisors it should have penalized them very heavily it should have given them a public reprimand aim regulation should have thought very carefully about whether this company was fit to remain on the aim casino there should have been a public censure of the company maybe you don't find the shareholders they're going to suffer enough from owning turn over the long run uh, they will be rogered over the long term and lose all their money so don't why penalize them with a fine but the company should have been publicly censured uh, so that folks are aware of the nature of the people who run this fine enterprise. And it wasn't. Nothing happened at all. Now, uh, it is... Quite clear under AIM rules that if your shares are moving on the basis of information in the public domain, which happens to be false information, fake news, you do as a company have a duty to put out an immediate statement to correct it. Your nomad should enforce this. Moreover, it should be blindingly obvious that if you get a placing away on the back of false information, whether it comes from you or from someone totally different, it makes no difference. The share price is a false share price because the market is a false share price. So there is a clear, overwhelming regulatory duty uh, for companies to correct that information. And certainly you can't do a placing. But nothing happened to turn. Why does this matter? Because, uh, well, firstly, if there had been that public censure, I think people, investors, might have taken the the, uh, lesson from that, that you don't want to invest in a company which is run by people who are happy to uh, uh, see investors hoodwinked and take money at the wrong price on the basis of that and don't give a flying fuck about the rules. I would have thought that would have diminished Tern's share price, given that it trades at a humongous premium to the real asset value of its investments, which is basically nothing. Uh, it would have done real damage to Turn's share price, and it would have reduced its ability to raise money going forward. Uh, bad, Good money being thrown after bad. That would be good. What you want from equity markets is that good companies are able to raise money, and bad companies, don't reduce their ability to raising money by sucking away a certain share of the pot. But the regulators failed to do nothing. So, wind forward to the past week, and uh, it appeared... Um, a tweet appeared on the internet on the 22nd of October of this year uh, from a company which had previously worked for Turn Investee Company, Device Authority, uh, the one I mentioned earlier, the one that's worthless, uh, 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 claiming that it raised $10 million for Device Authority. That would have been great news because it would have put a hard, tangible value on device authority and on-turn stake in it. It would have allowed device authority to repay monies, which it owes to Turn, which given that Turn had actually run out of money itself, would have relieved all balance sheet pressures on the company. So it would have been great news. The shares went through the roof. Unfortunately, it was fake news. It wasn't true. Uh, We know that Turn and its advisors, its new advisors, it works through advisors at a rate of knots, were aware of this fake news. We all know that they were aware. I mean, hell, everyone was aware of this news out there, but we know that the company and its advisors were aware of its news. What they should have done is put out a statement saying this is fake news, it's not true, etc. Very simple. That is what you should have done to abide by the rules, but they didn't. Instead, they got a placing way, raising another one and three quarter million at 11.15p. The lesson that Turn learned from events in January 2015 is if your shares go through the roof on the basis of fake news... You do a placing. You don't bother with the normal rules about correcting the, uh, the fact the market because there's a false market. You don't bother issuing an R and S, or you don't follow the rules. The following the rules is tedious. It's for little people. You just use the share spike to get a placing away. I've urged the FCA uh, and AIM regulation to take action this time because it's second offence. I doubt they will. And the lesson from that will be that term will limp on. It will be able to raise money going forward. Uh, And uh, if another opportunity comes up with some more fake news, it will do another placing into it. Why not go for the hat-trick? The point about regulation is for regulation to work, when you have a slam-dunk breach of the rules, you need a full, upfront, public censure of the company. Personally, I think the management who have broken rules should lose their right to be directors of listed companies. Do that to a few people, and boy, would others get the message. The next company, which I think is not lying to investors but is misleading them, is Eurasia Mining. This is the biggest ramp on the AIM market at the moment. Uh, The shares have got excited because it looks like after God knows how many years, Eurasia is finally generating some revenues from one of its assets in Russia people have come up with astronomic, well, I say people, bulletin board morons, have come up with astronomic valuations of the assets in Russia, even though uh, even the company seems to admit the resources are all inferred and indicated. It has very little in the way of proven resource. Uh, moreover, it had very little cash at the last interim stage. It was paying directors partly in shares because it had so little cash. Uh, and it, in order to get... Uh, Uh, Not only its first initial small project into production, but its much bigger, larger ones, it will have vast capital needs. Notwithstanding that, folks have put in ludicrous valuations on Eurasia's assets. The shares have gone through the roof. They've been helped in this process by the company, uh, 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 By as a result of this process, large numbers of warrants from folks who subscribe for numerous bailout placings over the years with warrants attached as a kicker have been exercised. Suddenly, the company has got a bit of money. It hasn't got anything like the money it needs to fund its capital commitments on its other projects. But that didn't stop the company uh, putting out a statement, uh, which is uh, pretty shocking. This is just a couple of days after it's got its first initial revenues and suddenly it's talking about paying dividends. It's going to review its dividend policy. Now, not to put too fine a point on it, Eurasia can't pay a dividend. As things stand, its retained losses are £26 is it quid or dollars or euros? It doesn't matter. 26 million watts, it's... Uh, it can go to court, it can have a capital reconstruction of its balance sheet, and it could, after that, potentially consider paying dividends. But right now, it can't. That point is something which uh, many on the bulletin board seem to miss. They are simple private investors. They don't understand it. There is an assumption somehow that the company is going to be paying dividends imminently. It can't and it's irresponsible of Eurasia, which I should say is run by a friend of mine, a very charming fellow, Christian Shaflitsky, very nice guy, uh, uh, libertarian, Irish, drinks too much, top man. But, Christian, it was irresponsible to put uh, that comment about dividends when you and I know that you're not in any position to pay dividends. Furthermore, uh, Eurasia Mining has got large capital commitments next year uh, in order to bring other assets into production. It can't uh, it hasn't got the money to do things, those, those capital projects as things stand. And it certainly hasn't got the money to bring those assets into production and pay a dividend. That's the second reason why the company can't pay a dividend short term. It could, I suppose, raise money to fund the capital projects and then use a bit of that money and a bit of the internal cash flow and the money from the warrants to pay a dividend. Uh, But that's not quite the way that folks on the bulletin boards are reading it. Again, I don't think actually that Eurasia has broken any laws uh, but its behaviour uh, uh, leaves an awful lot to be desired. And in the current climate, frankly, this is one of uh, uh, the the sort of mildest offences. This is a speeding ticket in a 70-mile zone, someone doing 72 miles, uh, compared to the wholesale lies and frauds that occur elsewhere. The third company I flag up, is Big Dish Ventures. I've talked about this a lot on Share Profits uh, over the past week or so. Uh, Big Dish Ventures is a company which uh, uh, goes to restaurants and says, uh, we will advertise on our website and on our app the fact that you can get a table at your restaurant in a quiet period with a 25% discount. Uh, uh, You can therefore sell uh, 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 fill tables which would otherwise have been empty uh, and we'll take a small fee for doing it. Maybe it's a 50% discount, maybe it's a two for one offer etc. We'll take a fee each time it happens. I have grave reservations about this business model but that is not the issue here. Nor is it the fact that the company's PR man is my good friend, uh, the Sith Lord, Zach Mir, uh, the, the, the former chartist. Again, we all have to earn a living, Zach. You know, uh, I would have thought being a rent boy at King's Cross is, is is sort of less dishonorable than being PR man to a small company like this. But maybe 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 you haven't got the looks to be a rent boy at King's Cross. Anyhow, I digress slightly. My issue with this company is that it has lied to investors and it's got away with lying to investors, so it's carrying on lying to investors. It's the same point. The lie from this company was uh, on 30th of uh, May. It put out an RNS saying that it was fully funded to execute its business plans, uh, and that it was now operating 100 from 150 restaurants and it was continuing to see uh, to take on new restaurants all the time. Surely good news. Uh, the next week, the company is placing. That came as a big shock to folks who thought the company was fully funded, etc., uh, etc. Et now, I'm told by the company that it wasn't planning to do a placing, but it just got approached by an investor who really wanted to put money in at 7.6p. Given the shares are now 1.7p, I guess the investor's is probably regressing it a bit, but that's another matter. And so it came as a horrible surprise to Big Dish, but it took the money anyway. Well, I'm prepared to accept that. But what I can't accept is the fact that the company told a lie when it said it was fully funded. The company uh, uh, full year results to March 31st, I believe it is, uh, show absolutely bugger all cash, uh, uh, negative net current assets, and the company's burning cash at a fair old rate, uh, almost 100,000 quid a month. Uh, That, isn't good. The auditor's report makes it abundantly clear that had the company not got the placing away in early June, i.e. post balance sheet event, it would not have treated this as a going concern. In other words, it's saying the auditors are telling you that without that placement, the company would have run out of money within the next 12 months, which is not the same as saying we are fully funded to deliver on our current plans, unless your current plans were a one way trip to the corporate administrator. So that May 30th statement was a lie. The results came out in August. So by August, we knew that Big Dish had lied to investors. Lied via an RS. That should be a very serious matter. Unfortunately, Big Dish is not listed on the AIM Casino. It is a standard list, so there's no nomad to kick up a fuss. It seems that on the standard list, no one cares. You can say what you like. A lie? Yeah, go ahead. No one's going to cause any objection, but the FCA should be causing an objection. I've told the FCA, I've sent them a formal letter pointing out this is a blatant lie and now a demonstrable lie. On the part of Big Dish, but nothing has happened. Well, something has happened. Uh, on the 17th of October, the CEO of Big Dish, uh, Mr. Pinocchio, uh, did a podcast with proactive investors. For those who don't know, proactive investors like Voxmark Markets companies pay to do podcasts or video shows. The questions are soft. There is no vetting. There's no sign-off from a compliance person, either on behalf of the company or on behalf of Vox or uh, Proactive. Uh, So it's just open season on telling complete and utter lies. Uh, You'll remember my exposures, or if you check share profits, check my exposures of the lies told by David Sefton of Anglo-African Oil and Gas ahead of his placement uh, earlier in this year in a proactive interview. Just complete nutter porkies, but uh, that is part of the course. Anyhow, on the 17th of October, the CEO of Big Dish Ventures served up a, 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 a proactive presentation where he talked about how the company was continuing to grow and says it was taking on, continuing to acquire new restaurants, that is to say, get new rest- restaurants as customers. Now, I would read from that, had I not done, gone to the trouble of actually going to investigate the company's website, I would read from that that if they had 150, uh, more than 150 restaurants in May, and the CEO is telling me that they're going to be continuing to take on new restaurants in October, uh, that uh, they must have way over 150. Wrong! they've only got 140. That's according to the company's own website. You can go and check it out yourself. Uh, Whilst they've opened in new locations since May, so Birmingham has gone from 0 to 26, Brighton from 0 to 11, other places have gone into reverse. Swindon, described as a successful launch in May, has got just one venue. Bristol, which was 36 in May, is now just 11 venues and they're pretty grotty ones to boot. These are Bristol in marginal locations. The company is clearly going backwards. But the CEO has no problem in misleading investors. I'm not going to say he's lying on the October 17th thing. It could be that the customer is, that the company's continue to acquire new restaurants. It's getting new restaurants on sites. But that's misleading if you don't say actually, but it's also losing more than it's gaining, which is the truth. So the guy felt able to mislead investors. Why did he do that? Because he told a total and utter fucking lie about a massively material thing in an rns on may 30th that's a lie that's been demonstrated shown to the authorities and nothing has happened so if you can get away with that then why not carry on lying or misleading just say what you want put whatever you want out in an RNS. The Mr. Pinocchio who runs Big Dish has clearly learnt the lesson from this that you, there are no rules. You can do whatever you want. And therefore he's going to carry on lying. In due course, Big Dish will run out of money again. It will have to do a placing, and that placing will be at the wrong price unless the misinformation put out to the market is corrected by the company issuing a formal statement. But there is no sign of that. Instead, it spends its diminishing cash pile going and doing another interview with Proactive, where the CEO tells lies. That is the way the public market is operating. The final company is Bidstack. Now, I commented on this at great length uh, uh, last week. It is an aim-listed company. Uh, The issue here is that the CEO has told a blatant lie to investors and is continuing to tell lies, and at the same time is selling large numbers of shares, which he owns at an inflated price, because uh, investors have been misled. The lie uh, was in a podcast with Justin the Clown at Vox Markets on August the 8th, where he was asked as to whether the company would hit the first half, that's the six months, the 30th of June, 2019, uh, forecasts uh, from the company's former broker, Peter House Capital. The CEO, Mr. James Draper, said, yes, we will. This is on the 8th of August, well after the period end. The Peterhouse forecasts were predicated on the company launching its products into four games during the first half, and it was forecasting revenues of 1.75 million. Uh, Mr Draper must have known that, in fact, the company's product was launched into zero games during the first half. He knew that already. So he knew that those Peterhouse forecasts were completely and utterly unachievable. Yet he lied about it to investors. Via the podcast. Uh, first half revenues were finally announced on 30th September and were all test revenues, and they totaled 26000 pounds A little bit short on £1.75 million. We can therefore establish that Mr. Draper is a liar. He lied to investors. It gets worse. Uh, uh, the company uh, 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 is aware that the only forecasts in the market from Peterhouse uh, are from Peterhouse, and are for full-year revenues of uh, was it 5.7 million, and a full-year loss of half a million quid. Well, uh, is the company going to achieve those revenues? It's a bit of an ask, given that the first half revenues were so far behind budget, but it's just about possible, I suppose. I don't actually think they will. But it's just about possible. Will the company hit Peter House's profits forecast? Not a cat's chance in hell. The first half loss was one and a half million. Since then, the company, or indeed, during the first half, uh, and since the first half, the company's continued to expand its uh, headcount, taking on more and more staff, and therefore expand its uh, cost base. There's, at this stage, no sign of any Uh, increase in the top line uh, in terms of revenues coming in, and the company has admitted that it will be cash flow negative in the second half. Therefore, it is inconceivable that the full year pre-tax profits, or rather loss forecast, will be achieved. The company should be putting out a formal statement to that effect and quantifying how big the miss will be. Instead, Mr Draper sold £300,000 worth of shares at 20p uh, 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 last week. His chief technology officer sold the same amount of shares at the same price. This is uh, something they can only do because they have inflated the share price by telling porkies, outright porkies, and they have not deflated the share price by putting out the formal profits warning or lack of profits warning, which the rules dictate that they should do. Aim rule 11 is clear. As soon as a company is aware that it is not, uh, that there's a material difference in its performance uh, from that which the market expects, it has to put out a statement. Well, the market has been led to expect that the full year loss at Bidstack will be half a million quid. There is no way on earth that it will be anything close to that. I would suggest that the full year loss will be at least two and a half million quid, possibly uh, three and a half million quid it will be of that magnitude. At the moment, we're all guessing because the company simply hasn't put a statement out. But as we now go into the last two months of the year, and one assumes there won't be that much business done in December, as we go to the last two months of the year, the company surely is in a position to guide. It certainly is in a position to inform investors that the loss will be materially bigger than forecast. It has not done so. Again, this is down to a failure of regulation. The CEO and the CTO have made 600 grand from flogging shares at 20p. They are only able to do so because the regulators failed to act uh, when the CEO told an outright slam dunk lie on August 8th. Had it acted then, then the company would have been a lot more circumspect in the way that it can, uh, 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 communicates with investors. It would almost certainly have put out a formal profits warning, lack of profits warning. And on that basis, uh, the company's shares would be much lower, and the people buying the shares off the CEO and the CTO would be overpaying by far less. But it hasn't happened. Again, it is a complete failure of regulation. What's uh, the lesson from all of these? Well, obviously, it goes without saying uh, that uh, 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 Eurasia, I I think, is an honest company, but the valuation of 100 million is crackers. The other three are slam-dunk sales. You really don't want to be owning any of these shares. Good companies don't feel the need to lie of course every company will try and present its case in the best possible scenario there is only so much capital out there to be thrown and invested at all the companies in the UK so there's a fierce battle do I as an institutional fund manager well not anymore but when I'm the days when I was a very bad fund manager would I put my money in BP or in Shell and so one level or do you put it in a you know oil little tiny little oil tiddler there is a battle there to try and attract a limited amount of capital, whether it be from institutional investors or from private investors. So all companies put the best possible spin on their results. They don't... Uh, 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 they, that is the job of a company's communications department. It's the job of the CFO, it's the job of the CEO. Put the best possible spin on results. We as shareholders want the people running the companies we're invested in to put the best possible spin on them so that the value of our shares goes up. However, uh, there is a difference between uh, putting the best possible spin on on numbers or outlook or forecasts and... Uh, Breaking the rules by telling lies, uh, telling outright uh, absolute lies, or by failing to correct... Uh, a false market because someone else has put out information which is false. That is a very different proposition. Uh, I'm sure all companies, as I say, try to present their investment case in the best possible way. How many companies behave in the way that we've seen uh, with Bidstack, uh, Eurasia, Big Dish, uh, uh, and Turn? Well, far too many. And the reason that we see far too many in quoted markets today is simple it is that the regulators fail to act on slam-dunk cases. If I wind back to the beginning of this podcast and to my uh, 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 thoughts on Sefton Resources, as run by Jimmy Lyre Ellison, Jimmy Ellison took about $10 million out of that company over uh, uh, the space of uh, uh, a decade uh, or so. He was able to do so because the company uh, promoted its shares in a most ruthless and aggressive way, uh, not bothering with telling the truth, but just saying whatever would get the shares up, or at least arrest the pace of the rate of decline in the share price, so the company could raise more and more money, so that Jimmy could steal it. Uh, I use the word steal. He didn't actually just take it out of the safe. Uh, He stole it by paying vast amounts to him for delivering uh, uh, projects to the company which could never make any return at all for shareholders. Uh, He was operating on a false prospectus that could have been stopped Sefton could have been stopped because the company was making statements even in its early days which were just patently untrue if the regulators had stopped in the, uh, had moved in and swooped in the early days uh, they could have nipped this one in the bud. They could have said to Jimmy Lai and "You are not fit to be running a name listed company. We know there's a low threshold, but you fail even that threshold, Mr. Relton, uh, and your company uh, needs to fire you and the board, and you know basically just disappear." The fact that it didn't meant that another 20 or $30 million was thrown at the company and that money was all lost. Sefton could have been nipped in the bud at an early stage. It wasn't because the regulators turned a blind eye to the fact that it was telling complete lies. I've highlighted companies here today, four companies which should all tomorrow be putting out statements uh, to clarify certain matters. you raise, you'll be saying, no, there are good reasons why we're not going to pay a dividend next next year and we're sorry we gave the impression that we might. uh, uh, Turn. Well, uh, uh, we should have mentioned last week that this report about device authority was complete fake news, but we thought we'd get the placing away first. Uh, But now we'd like to clarify. Uh, Bidstack, Big Dish, you know what they need to say. They need to be putting these statements out. They won't. They won't because the regulators have turned a blind eye and do nothing about it. And if you don't nip small frauds in the bud, Then you get big frauds. They just get bigger and bigger. And I guess that just comes back to what I'm doing. Uh, uh, My job will be to continue to expose uh, companies that don't tell the truth, Uh, companies that raise money on false prospectuses, Uh, companies that commit fraud. For that, no doubt, I will receive more vilification uh, uh, in all sorts of places. Such is the way of the world. People don't thank you. Uh, eventually, when they lose all their money, they say, "We should have listened to you about that fraud." I'm sorry we didn't. I'm sorry we we insulted you uh, on Twitter. Uh, but uh, eventually, people, most people, come round to that way of thinking. Time being, uh, I guess I'm not the most popular person on the bid stack threads on the uh, on the chat rooms. If you've enjoyed this edition of Share Profits Radio, sponsored by Open Orphan, then please go follow Open Orphan at Open Orphan, find out more about the company. But how about you stop being a cheapskate and you sign up to Share Profits? It costs only 5 99 a month. Uh, and for that, you get a daily bear cast, which isn't as long as this. It uh, uh, lasts about 20 minutes from me. Uh, so one podcast a day from me. There is ten articles. There are nine other articles on the site each day, Uh, maybe the old one less at the weekend. So about three hundred articles a month. Uh, uh, We break stories. We uh, expose frauds. We expose placings. uh, We write all the stuff that you're not meant to write. A lesson for my colleagues in the Deadwood Press as they consider their failure over Neil Woodford uh, 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 writing. Good journalism is writing what people don't want to see written. Anything else is pure PR. So if you want good journalism, investigative journalism, and you like the style of my podcast, sign up to Share Profits. It costs just £5.99 a month, and you get to hear me every day, and I'll be speaking to you tomorrow. If you're a cheapskate, I'll speak to you next week with the next edition of Share Profits Radio. Thank you for listening.